All right, so I'm not asking you to uh, feel sorry for me, uh, but uh, can you imagine the task of you have uh, 25 minutes to prove the existence of God? Good luck. Okay, so that's kind of what today's all about, is looking at the existence of God, and uh, uh, hopefully that as we get into God's Word, that uh, those of you that have questions realize that we're going to open the door so you can always ask those questions. We'll do everything we can to help you. Those of you that might be wrestling in your faith, we hope that today's message um, hopefully it will be very encouraging to you. Um, what a huge question, though, when you ask yourself, uh, how can we be sure that God exists? Because there's countless opinions. Here's one opinion. This is Douglas Adams, uh, who has passed away. Uh, he is famous for writing The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, also a devout atheist. This is what he's quoted to say. In the beginning, the universe was created and this made a lot of people very angry and has been widely regarded as a bad move. And that's how a lot of people feel. Uh, they, even, they don't really wrestle with God or whether God exists. or They just have kind of given up on mankind and the universe and hope. And I think that's a sad place to be. But I remember when I was a kid, I remember this very clearly, especially those beautiful summer evenings. Uh, I, go out, I had a big yard. I'd go out in the yard. And uh, I'd lay there looking at the stars with this canopy of cottonwood trees around me, and, and I would ponder life's biggest questions. Questions like, God, why are girls so weird? That was always one. Uh, how much wood can a woodchuck chuck? I was a deep thinker, yeah. Um, but in all honesty, I do remember this question. I guarantee everybody in this room said that question. Looking at the stars, I'm like, okay, God, where did you come from? And I, I believe in you, and, and I, I think this is so amazing, but, like, how did you come into existence? So we're going to answer that question today and, uh, <laughs> in 25 minutes. Okay, so A.W. Tozer said this. I, I love this. says, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I love that because everybody has in their own mind an image of God. Here's a few, I think, popular images. The first one is, I think some people think God is like Santa Claus. That he kind of makes you feel good and fuzzy in certain seasons of the year. You can kind of call out to God, but to not really have a real relationship with him, that doesn't even seem possible to have a relationship. Some people, their image of God is a loving father. I, I love that image. I love the image of the prodigal son. And I think God wants us to have that image of him. But I know those of you that I've talked to who have worked in Kairos ministry in the prisons, so many young people over the years I've talked to, they can't relate to that. You talk about a loving father, they're like, I mean, I have no idea what you're talking about, a loving father. So many young people don't have a father at all. They don't even have that relationship. Another image is an angry judge. I mean, God is just a cosmic killjoy. He just loves to see people live through life in misery. And then there's this image that is probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous painting about God, and it's Michelangelo. It's in the Sistine Chapel. It's called The Creation of Adam. It's only three by six meters. I mean, that's it's huge, but I mean, you think about all the people who have studied this. A couple of interesting observations about this painting. One is, it's obvious that God is on the move, and he's moving towards man. And what's also interesting is the way God is moving towards man is that God desires a relationship with man. Now, here's the other thing that's interesting is the angels that surround God in this painting, their faces are fuzzy. There's only two clear faces. 
and it's a woman holding a baby. And many believe that's Michelangelo's way of saying it wasn't just God that created the world, that breathed life into man, but Jesus is right there with him. Well, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, and we created the world. I think that's a powerful picture of God. Now, I got to be honest with you, when you think about God and the existence of God, uh, we need to understand that, and I think this is so true, when you look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, it says this, and this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For these I delight. See, the author, Jeremiah, said there's so many things that man boasts about, but here's the most important thing. You boast about your understanding of God. I read this, and I love this, that uh, in order to have a full life, complete fulfillment, you have to address these four questions. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. So origin is, how did I get here? Morality, or excuse me, um, meaning is, why am I here? Morality is, what determines right from wrong? And then destiny, what happens when I die? So as we pursue that question this morning about the existence of God, keep those in mind. Now, we're going to deal with three reasons why you can be confident in God's existence. And so I don't know if you've uh, seen the show, um, who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Anybody see that show? Good. It's, it's a great show. And when I first started watching it, one of the things that I loved was the phone a friend, uh, because I used to love it when somebody would have a really tough question, they'd phone a friend, and their friend would be like, I don't have any idea. And you just watch them like, but why, I thought you're the smartest guy, you know. But I love that idea. So I'm going to be honest, when I got to this first point of the existence of God, the first point is the beginning of the universe points to God the Creator. Psalms 19.1 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So I thought, I got about five minutes to frame the creator of the universe. So I called John Tweedy, and I said, John, I, I love your story. I love the passion that you have for those that have these, these really heavy, heavy questions. And I want you to share your heart and also share what we hope is an opportunity here to address those very difficult questions in uh, what we call discovery groups. So let's give it up for Mr. John Tweedy. Thanks, John. So you know the preacher's in trouble when he calls the guitar player, right? You know, so... Uh, so my story kind of with God goes back to obviously a youngster, and I had a very small kernel of faith as a little guy, um, but that was pretty much snuffed out when I lost my grandmother when I was an early teen. And at that point, I was pretty sure, though, I was quite happy with the idea of no God. You know, I, so I went to high school and university and threw myself into these sciences and got to learn all this cool stuff. And I really didn't need a God. You know, everything was good. Um, I had all the answers I needed. Um, life was okay. Um, then I married a Christian and... Uh, she uh, challenged me, um, dragged me along to Sherwood Oaks, and over a few years, I, I got to have lots of really cool conversations with Christians who 
knew their faith, had studied their faith, could give me reasons for why they believe what they believe and really kind of delve into the, the details, which I really appreciated. And I think, you know, what John wants me to talk about is, you know, the whole universe thing. And I think that is awesome. And there's a guy who writes books. His name is Francis Collins. And he was the lead scientist for the U.S. team on mapping the human genome. Super intelligent guy and a Christian. And he's got some wonderful quotes about the universe. The first one is, we have this very solid conclusion that the universe had an origin, the Big Bang. The universe began with an unimaginably bright flash of energy and then from an infinitesimally small point. That implies that before that, there was nothing. I can't imagine how nature, in this case the universe, could have created itself. And for that very fact, the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. And it seems that that must have happened outside of nature. And then the other cool thing is, you know, so science seems to currently point to, you know, maybe something having created the universe. But not only do we have that, but then when you actually look at the universe, here's another quote from Francis Collins. He says, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew that we were coming. There are 15 constants, the gravitational constant and various others. Uh, and if any one of those had been off by one part in one million, or in some cases, one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it today. Um, and matter would not have been able to coalesce, and we wouldn't have had a galaxy, stars, planets, or people. So I do, I mean, as I was chatting actually in the break, and I love that, you know, I spent all these years at university thinking I was studying science, but maybe I was actually studying God, you know. So that's pretty cool. So another reason I'm here this morning is to try and encourage you guys with spiritual discovery groups. So I lead the spiritual discovery group ministry for the church. Um, we have a few of these groups going, and they are awesome places where people with questions, specifically people who haven't accepted Christ yet, and they have questions, so we'd love to sit with them in like a, in a safe environment. It's normally we try to have the non-believers outnumber the believers so they feel safe and comfortable. They can ask any question they want, explore Christianity and, and try and understand it. So if you have a one life or a friend or if yourself, you know, you're struggling with all these tough questions, um, we'd love to set up a spiritual discovery group on the west side. So come see me afterwards and uh, we can try and get something going. But thank you. I mean, that's what I love, what John is doing, and uh, Tom Ellsworth uh, is doing this, Roger Clark, uh, is they're, they're meeting people exactly where they're at with these really tough questions. They're not running from it. And so one of our goals there is that, to train uh, to have a group here. I mentioned first service that I honestly would love to have one uh, in the bar, you know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm not just... <laughs> cut, cut, cut. But anyway, I... I really do think it would be awesome just to meet people where they're at and say, listen, don't be afraid to ask these really hard questions, and let's talk about uh, God in the midst of these really tough questions. Here's the second, if you're taking notes, uh, the second area as far as looking at the existence of God is that our sense of morality points us to God as our moral lawgiver. Our sense of morality points us to God as our moral lawgiver. Romans 2.15 says, God's laws are on our hearts and on our conscience. C.S. Lewis, also an individual, just brilliant, who was uh, an atheist, 
uh, in the book, Mere Christianity, talks about what drew him to the existence of God, interestingly enough, was morality. And I just want you to listen briefly to what C.S. Lewis said. Whenever you find a man who says he does not believe in a real right and wrong, you'll find that same man going back on this a moment later. He may break his promise to you, but if you try breaking one of the promises, then he will be complaining that that is not fair. It seems then that we are forced to believe in a real right and wrong. People may be sometimes mistaken about them, just as people sometimes get their sums wrong, but there are no matter of mere taste and opinion any more than the multiplication table. Morality. Where did we get right and wrong? I mean, did that just randomly happen? Morality is more than just your personal opinion. It's more than what's culturally popular. Morality truly is the core. It is the absolute truth that gives us wisdom to discern what is right and what is wrong. Uh, there is a theory out there, and it's called subjective morality. And subjective, subjective morality is every man should have the right to choose which right or wrong. Now, a guy that is, we're just using a lot of brilliant people this morning. Uh, Rabbi Zechariah, if you get a chance on YouTube, just listen to Rabbi Zechariah, who goes to Harvard and campuses all over and uh, has discussions about the existence of God and, and the God of the universe. And here's what he said, which is very simple, but I love this. He said, here's the problem with subjective morality, and when people try to depend, defend it, I ask one question. Do you lock your doors at night? And they said, well, why? What's that have to do with it? Because he said, you better lock your doors, because subjective reality is you may feel like theft is wrong, but who's to say that they don't? think theft is wrong, or vandalism, or take it to the extreme, abuse and violence, or even murder. Who, who's to decide where there is absolute truth? And I think that's a great point. John Piper said this. He said, whenever you're talking about the existence of God, that is an important discussion. But there's an equally important question to ask. Not just, is there a God? But what would the world be like without God? Well, here's what's sad. We have examples. Because when man has no moral compass, we've seen the results. In 1971, maybe some of you have read about this, it was called the Stanford Experiment. Um, and it was supposed to last 14 days. It was conducted by a psychologist, a professor by the name of Philip Zimbrano. And here was his idea. Uh, I'm going to divide uh, a group of 30 men, different backgrounds and, and uh, different financial points in their life, and I'm going to split them into two groups. One are going to be, uh, we're going to call them inmates, and the other ones we'll just call guards. And we're going to test them all, a uh, personality test, and we're going to tell them, according to that personality test, we'll determine whether you're a guard or you're an inmate. So you're following me? So here's where it gets interesting. Uh, they didn't do anything with that personality test. They threw them in the trash. They just randomly drew names. But they told them the reason you're a guard or the reason is because of this test. So immediately there was people like, well, it's obvious I'm a guard. I'm a leader. I mean, it, bogus. I mean, so when they got in there, they only gave them, here's the only schedule. This is the only thing you need to know. Uh, as a guard, at such and such a time, let them out of their cells, take a head count, allow them to have a meal, and they'll have some recreational time. So there were two cells and one really nice rec area 
for the guards, okay? Within 36 hours, anybody want to guess what happened? First, they had somebody who had a legitimate, complete mental breakdown. I mean, completely lost their mind. And then, can you believe this, the guards who actually had billy clubs started using the billy clubs. And it got out of control. So they had a riot. Uh, they then took some of the, the other folks and they created confinement areas, solitary confinement. And within six days, they had to completely shut down the experiment for fear of serious injury or even possible death. Now you'd say, now are people really that mean? Yeah. You know how we know that? Uh, just look at World War II history. If you look at Adolf Hitler and you look at Joseph Stalin, conservatively, they executed 20 million people or more. And though they were on polar opposite sides as far as uh, politically, morally, they were on the same side. You know what side that was? They didn't believe in God. There was not an absolute truth. Truth was whatever they declared truth was. And we saw the result. You see, a world without God is not a world that I want to be in. And some of you here this morning, you may be struggling with, uh, do you believe in God? And we're here to help. We're not here to judge. We're here to help. But also to say that there's something about the power of God and the absolute power of what is right and what is wrong. The third point is just simply this. It's our personal experience points to God who is worthy of worship. In John chapter 9, it's one of my all-time favorite stories. Uh, if you remember it, uh, Jesus is walking along, and there's a man, and he's blind. He's been blind for years. And uh, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And then he spits on the ground, and he takes the mud, and he puts the mud on his eyes. And then he says, I want you to go to the, the pool of Siloam and to wash off your eyes. And when he does, he can see. Well, see, all of the folks in that region... They had seen this guy, and they knew that he, he was blind. I mean, it seemed totally unexplainable. And so the Pharisees and the leaders of that day did what any great leader would do who doubted Jesus. They pulled him in, and they said, How can you explain that you were blind your entire life, and he put mud on your eyes? How do you explain that? Because there's only one person that has that kind of power, and that is God. So what you're telling me is this is the Son of God, or this is God. I mean, they're angry. I, I honestly think they're trying to pay him off. And he had, I think, the greatest answer in uh, verse 25. I think it's the best answer of all time. He simply said, all I know is this. Anybody know? I was blind, but now I see. Can't you just seem like, listen, you're the smart guys. I mean, you're, the, you're in the deep end of the pool intellectually. We know that. You wear the big hats. You, you parade around. You're the smart guys. Here's what I know. I couldn't see. You didn't do a thing for me. Today, I can see. Just thank you. I mean, that's his answer. I think sometimes we need to step back and say, God, I just thank you that I can see because of you. I can see because of what you've poured into me. Matter of fact, I think John Newton, when he penned Amazing Grace, I think he thought a lot about this story. I was blind, and now I see. There's a joke, and I told this first service, and uh, it didn't land. So we're going to see if you guys understand, okay? It's a better joke. So Sherlock Holmes and Watson are camping way out in the middle of nowhere. 
And they're laying there looking up at the stars. And Sherlock Holmes looks over to Watson and he said, man, can you tell me what you're thinking? And Watson looks up and he goes, I see these galaxies and I'm thinking, this is such an amazing event that God created the galaxies. And that man is working on instruments that will help us to see galaxies of stars beyond even these stars. That's what I'm thinking. And he said, are you thinking anything else? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, the moon. The moon's amazing. When I look at the moon, how beautiful it is. He says, Mr. Holmes, what are you thinking? And Sherlock Holmes said, I'm thinking, who stole our tent? Okay, I see it's funny if you're looking at it. Okay, I thought it was, thought it was pretty funny. Okay, now here's the deal. Sometimes we can get overwhelmed. The existence of God and creation and the Big Bang Theory and morality. Sometimes we need to step back and say, God, help simplify this for me. I know you're real. How do I know you're real? And here's something that is so important, and that is you need to look in your life and say, what has God done in your life that is almost indescribable? What have you witnessed that you'd sound crazy trying to explain that to someone else? Now, i got to be honest. Marie and I, on January 1st, 1984, we started this journey called Full-Time Ministry. And uh, we had a front-row seat to see some of the most amazing things that, honestly, some people would just think I'm crazy. And honestly, the word that I would use is the word transformation. Transformation. We have seen and worked with kids that have come out of terrible homes, terrible home lives, and through the love of Jesus Christ and the hope of Jesus Christ, have become incredible husbands and wives and parents, not because of their home, but because of Jesus. We've seen marriages literally at the 11th hour ready to give up that surrendered to Christ and somehow put it back together, and their marriages were stronger than they'd ever been before. We've dealt with people who've been through painful divorces that were just tempted to just give up, but yet their faith actually got deeper. We've been on mission trips to third world countries. We've seen poverty that I never thought I would ever see. And in the midst of the poverty, see people that were so full of joy that I can't even explain it. I've seen and I've experienced transformation. And I look around this room, a lot of you have seen the same thing. You've been to Kairos and Emmaus. You've been to Chrysalis. You've seen things. You've experienced it. Now, you try to explain that at work. How do you believe in God? And you almost start welling up because you're like, I, I can't hardly explain to you what God has done, but don't shortchange your experiences and what those experiences mean to you in your faith journey. Last Sunday, right after this service, we had a baptism. Uh, Joe Sedano gave his life to Christ. What I love is uh, when Joe came up out of the water, it was just this moment of worship. And uh, I got to be honest with you, any minister that isn't lying, will tell you, uh, at least it's a lesson I learned in Bible college, don't ever resign for ministry on a Monday because you would do it about every other Monday. Because there are Mondays you're like, why am I doing this? And then I look back, and that's going to be an 8 by 10 picture in my office. That's why. Uh, the other thing about that baptism that really <laughs> got to me, uh, I don't even know if he's here, but Todd Edwards um, 
who baptized him, and a, and a friend came over. Todd was in my youth group when he was in junior high. We watched uh, Ernest Goes to Camp. I remember that. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just so thankful. Like, God, thank you for letting me honestly stand on holy ground and experience this. Now, I don't know Joe's whole, whole story, but I know this. I know that uh, he would tell you he's made mistakes, and he's searching the only hope that will make him a better man, and that's Jesus Christ. And he stepped out and he did something about it. Now, folks, I can't explain to you how important that is in your pursuit of your faith in the existence of God. Matter of fact, in just a few moments, we're going to do something as you expand your faith, and that is communion if you're a first-time visitor. Um, we have four tables here, and it gives you the opportunity not to rush through communion, but to take communion and realize what Christ has done for us. But I want you to listen to these words that I absolutely love, that encourage me about the creator of the universe loves me, and he loves you. And it comes from Isaiah 40, starting in verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created these? He who brings out the starry host one by one, he calls forth each of them by name because of this great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Verse 28, do you not know or have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases power to the weak. Even youth go tired and weary, and young men, they stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's the God I believe in. That's the God I would give my life for, and I hope that's the God you believe in. And I hope it's the God you'd be willing to give your life for. You need to know from the bottom of my heart, I believe that God exists, and I believe he exists because he changes lives. He changed my life. He's changed your life. And anybody here today, he can change your life. I believe that with every fiber of my being. And honestly, if I didn't believe that, you should kick me, kick my butt out of here because it's real. But is he real to you? That's really what this is all about. Is he, is he real to you? And that's why we come to the table. Every, that's why we come to the table. Because we say, God, I believe you're real. I believe you give me hope. And when I break that bread and I, and I drink this juice, I do this because I remember how deeply and profoundly you love me.